You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, so I wanted to have something for you guys to think about. Um, is there something that you've seen lately that you would say was beautiful? When you think of the word beautiful, what do you think of? Um, I made a joke uh, last service. I said, if, if you're married, you, you kind of have to say your wife at this point. If you say, what's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? It was my wife on my wedding day. Um, I woke up this morning and saw the most beautiful thing. Um, but beauty, to me, is something that I think matters a lot to the heart of God. And I don't mean it in a, like an artsy-fartsy way, okay? I don't mean just like, you know, artistically. Beauty is important, man. But I do think seeing beauty and, and experiencing beauty in our everyday lives helps us experience and encounter who God is. If we don't have beauty in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of our suffering, if we don't have something that we can look to and go, wow, that's beautiful, that isn't attributed to God, we start to lose our hope because we're just focused on the, on the hard or we're focused on the broken or we're focused on the gross and the decaying. But beauty to me is something that, um, as we move through this passage, I think is going to matter a lot. It's kind of to where we land, but... Um, the thing I thought of, I'm going to have some pictures up here, um, is Pretty Place up at Camp Greenville. Maybe some of you have been there. If you haven't, you should go. Um, it's literally a spot in South Carolina, like, like an hour away from here. Um, and I thought about that because I remember I was 15 years old, and I was at this youth retreat, and we went to Camp Greenville, you know, and at 15, you do not like getting up at 6 a.m. I don't care who you are. And uh, I remember the night before, me and all the guys are hanging out, and the youth pastor's like, hey, guys, we're getting up at 6 a.m. tomorrow. We're going to watch the sunrise. And I said, why, why are we doing that for fun? Like, who, who made the idea to say, we need to get up at 6 a.m. and go watch the sunrise? Because at 15, I'm like, I need to be sleeping. That's what I need to be doing at 6 a.m. And I remember getting up at 6 a.m. It's pitch black outside. It was, like, end of November. It's freezing cold. And we're all getting in this truck, and we're riding up this mountain, and I'm just so like, what, why are we here? What are we doing? And I remember we pull up, and it's pitch black. We get in the little seats, pitch black. I'm going, well, this is just breathtaking. I'm going to, I'm going to head back to bed. But I'll, but I'll never forget that moment, watching the sun, like, rise over these mountains. And it was the first time at 15, like, I'd never really gone hiking before, and wasn't really outdoorsy guy. I was more of a play Halo kind of guy, you know what I mean? And I just... I watched the sun come up, and for the first time, I had this emotional response to nature, where I was watching the sun rise and watching that that red pour into pink and and move into yellow and and, and bust up into the sky, and I just thought, man, like this, this reminds me of God. I look at this, and I'm thinking of God. And then you look up, and there's a beam right in there that has a verse that says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? And I'm looking at these rolling hills, and I'm like, alive, like this is magnificent, started tearing up, like got emotional, you know, because the beauty, what I was seeing with my eyes all of a sudden made a connection to who I perceived God to be, because I thought, man, he created this, he made this, this is something he did with his hands, artistically, like he didn't have to make mountains beautiful and make rolling hills beautiful, they could have just been a bunch of clunks of rock. But to look at that, to watch the sun come up, breathtaking, what a gift. And I bring this up because as we're, as we're in this series called Exiles, you guys might be wondering, like, what the heck is he talking about? Um, 
I think about exiles, and, and this whole book is about suffering and about persecution. And that's something that I know happens in the world, and, and it's something that even some of us face day to day. We face suffering. We face pain. We go through hard, difficult things. We go through loss. We lose people in our families. We lose our jobs. Um, we face a lot of hard stuff. We have um, bad relationships with people. We go through conflict. Our marriages aren't perfect. Our relationships aren't perfect. Life is hard and difficult. And I don't think any of you would stand here and say, I disagree with you, Timothy. I think you say, yeah, you're right, man. It's, it's tough out there. And it's hard to look at life all the time and think, man, yeah, life's beautiful. Especially not today. <laughs> I probably didn't look at all the news articles yesterday and go, you know what? It's a good world out there. Things are going great. Because they're not. The world's a scary, hard place. And to try and find beauty in the midst of that is one of the most difficult things because it's not right in front of our faces. But having that verse, that Psalm 121, lifting my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. My help, my satisfaction, my joy, beauty is found in the one who made that mountain range, which is such a gift. When we look above our horizontal viewpoint, we see his vertical reality. There's this whole reality, this kingdom reality. If we could just lift our eyes out of the circumstance and look at him, that just changes our perspective. We see love, we see his power, we see his glory, and all of it starts to transform us. Here's another verse that I thought of when I thought about beauty. Isaiah 52, verse 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah 52 reminds us that true beauty is found in the one who carries good news in cups of cold water. So if we're, if we're in this world of suffering, how can we see beauty? How can we find beauty? We could go to Camp Greenville, right? But what the Bible says is even God looks at his creation and he goes, Look, he likes it. But what does he call beautiful? We would call that beautiful. What would he call beautiful? The gospel being sent out. People experiencing good tidings. Good tidings means just positivity, just being kind, being good, handing out peace where there's chaos, bringing people to salvation, seeing people find hope and come alive in Jesus. That's what makes God go, wow, that's beautiful. Not mountains. What if we carried, in the midst of our suffering, what if we carried good news? What if we carried peace and good tidings and salvation to those around us? What if we made that decision? Yes, I'm suffering. <clears throat> yes, my life is hard. Yes, things are difficult. But what if I chose, what if I chose into salvation, chose into good news, and carried that to people around me? What would be different? How would your workplace be different? How would your marriage be different? If you carried that into conflict, if I was in an argument with my wife, we're in conflict, things are, things are getting intense. But somehow I brought peace into that conversation. Only by the, by the power of the Spirit, right? What do you think would happen? What do you think would happen in a school? Anywhere, if peace was brought in, salvation was brought in. Good news, not bad news. The good news of the gospel. Life and hope found in Jesus. What if that was brought into conflict? I think it changed the world. And it's hard, like I said before, because we, we carry so many things, we go through so many things, right? You guys can probably think of anything right now of ways that you've felt pain or loss or that you've suffered in your life. You might think, how am I supposed to do that? Though? I've got my own stuff. I've got my own things going on. I've got my own hardship. How am I supposed to carry good news? I'm not Jesus. He could do it. He's the son of God. Of course he did. I can't. 
Jesus suffered just as we do every single day. Every single thing you've been through, he's gone through. That was, that was part of the gift of him becoming a man, was that he walked through and went through so many things that were painful and hard and difficult. He was tempted. He suffered loss and wept at loss. I don't know if you guys remember that with Lazarus. That was always something that blew my mind, that he wept knowing he was going to raise him from the dead because Jesus felt the pain of Lazarus' family. He knows what it's like to lose somebody. He knows what it's like to be tempted by sin. He knows what it's like to look around at an oppressive government and watch it beat up on a broken people. He knows what that feels like. He walked through it every single day. But if we want to tap into that beauty as Jesus did, because what Jesus did is he walked into the brokenness and the chaos, and he brought beauty. If you read the Gospels, if you have, his life is beautiful. It's cool. There's a lot of cool things about it, but ultimately it's beautiful to look at, to fall into a Roman oppressed place and to watch him interrupt and not set the place on fire, but to light it up with love and healing. He mended people. You know what I mean? He brought peace in the midst of chaos, brought good news to people who needed it. He interrupted it with beauty. That's beautiful. And that's the thing that we're going to get into later is that Jesus is our example. That's why we can look at him and go, no, wait, my life doesn't have to be here in the midst of my suffering, just suffering and feeling pain. You can experience those things and you will, but Jesus gives us an example of how we can walk that out as well. That we don't have to settle for that. That instead we can bring to our families, to our neighbors, to those around us, peace, good tidings, good news, salvation. All right, <clears throat> we get to the passage. This is 1 Peter 2, we're going to start in verse 11. All right, I was telling the uh, guys last time that uh, Oliver did a great job last week. He actually like set me up in a really good way because he, uh, he did all like the heavy lifting with the first part of uh, 1 Peter 2. I get to just say, well, this is what you're supposed to do now, so uh, take it or leave it. So I'm excited about it. But um, 1 Peter 2, 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Something I, I wanted to bring up is that first word, beloved. So if you guys remember back in, um, it's in Matthew, but it's in some of the other Gospels. When Jesus comes to get baptized, he's baptized in the water, comes up, the Holy Spirit comes like a dove upon his shoulder. And then the Father's voice comes in and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Peter, did, and he does this multiple times in his letters, he refers to the people he's writing to as beloved. And he's doing that because he's wanting to remind them that you now are beloved children of God. Because you have to remember, these guys are exiles. They're sojourners, right? They're in a place they don't understand or recognize. They're facing persecution and oppression. And the one thing that Peter wants to start with in many of his letters is he says... You're beloved. You are so loved by God. When, God. when the Father sees you, because of Jesus on the cross, he sees you like he sees his son Jesus. And you are his beloved child in whom he's well pleased. Boy, I wish I could wake up every day and hear that. Like, what an encouraging blessing to give before he starts a letter. So just before we move forward, I want you guys to hear that. And just be reminded, man, you are beloved by God this morning. Like, like children. So sojourners, exiles, um, he's, the first thing he says, coming out of what Oliver brought last week, is to abstain from the passions of the flesh. So, like, what does that have to do with mission? What does it have to do with 
loving people and, and getting through suffering. Worship, the things that we put into our body every day, so the music we listen to, the TV we watch, the food we eat, all of it reflects worship. We're glorifying something by taking it in. So if you're out listening to gangster rap, you love gangster rap, and you're glorifying gangster rap, right? But that starts to, what Peter's going to say is those things actually start to affect you and impact you, either for good or for bad. So I brought this up earlier. So if, if I eat a Big Mac today, one Big Mac, I'm probably not in bad shape, right? It's a Big Mac. Everybody likes a Big Mac every once in a while. But as you guys have seen that Netflix documentary, if you eat three Big Macs for a month every day, you're probably going to see a difference, right? If I'm just consistently eating garbage and putting it into my body, my heart's not going to do so well, my arteries aren't going to do so well, my body's not going to start doing all right. Our faith is the exact same way. The thing that you put into your body, and I mean those little things, the stuff you talk about, the things you think are funny, the music you listen, all of it is shaping and forming your soul. And Peter's trying to say, not just one time, but forever, those things, and they're passions of the flesh. What can make me feel good? What can get me what I want? You know, all those things are warring within you every moment of every day which is pretty daunting. But he's saying, you have to abstain from those things and let your worship be to the Lord. Let your speech, your thoughts, the things you listen to, the things you watch, glorify God. But what he's saying is those things will change our conduct. It's not that we worship and still have to perform in our conduct. If you are filling yourself up with the goodness of the Lord, with scripture, with prayer, with worship, I promise you your conversations are going to be a little different. Because those things will overflow out of you. You won't have to think that you're working as hard to resolve conflict in your, your relationships or have to be kinder to that boss who's a real jerk at work because you're filling yourself with the very character of Jesus. And those things get easier. I promise. You have to consciously decide to do them. But Peter's trying to show us, if you start with worship, that worship's going to affect the warfare that goes on in your heart, in your soul, and that warfare is going to affect your witness. Because that's ultimately what Peter's wanting to get at. He wants to talk about worship, but he wants to talk about witness. See, I remember my mom said this to me when I was in sixth grade. She said, you need to be careful how you act around people because everybody's watching you. And so don't make me look stupid. That was my mom's thing. Don't make me look like an idiot. Because I was kind of dumb when I was in sixth grade. And that rings true, especially in today's age, like, I don't know if you guys are aware or not, but I wouldn't say that the world, 20 years ago, the world was like tolerating Christianity. And by the world, I mean, you know, the U.S., the people that, the culture that we're in. It was tolerable. Nowadays, genuine Christianity, genuine faith, genuine Christian value is not on the people are excited about it or people are tolerating. It's more of the oppressive thing. I don't want to hear it. That's a bad thing. So now more than ever, our witness, how we talk, how we respond, what we watch, what we do, people are more aware of that, especially if they know that you're a believer. They are more aware now than ever because they're looking for something to pin you down on. How many pastors have we seen fall prey to tax evasion, another sex scandal, some other big thing, church has gone downhill because of crazy stuff. And what do you think the world thinks of that? I don't think they necessarily feel sorry for us. Probably thinking that's pretty hypocritical. It's not a great witness. But if, we, if we're worshiping, if we are walking or, or putting ourselves in a position where we're walking with Jesus every day, 
that is going to affect what's going on in here, and that's going to affect our witness. It won't be a, man, I really got to try to be more like Jesus today. You'll naturally be doing it, and people will notice that. And that, to a good deed, that word good there in the Greek, it means beautiful. It's going to look beautiful. That's what I want in my life. I want my life to look beautiful, not just to the Lord, but I want it to look that way to other people. Wow, that's beautiful. I've never seen anything like that before. I've never seen somebody parent their kids like that. Oh, wow, I've never seen somebody resolve a conflict with their spouse like that. That stuff will blow people's minds because they don't know what it means. They don't know what it is. When we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord daily, go to war with our flesh and win daily, our witness will be beautiful because our souls will be beautiful. All right, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So a human institution is just something created by humanity, something that God didn't create that humanity created. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That word good again means beautiful. That by doing something beautiful, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. That just means love believers, love the church. Fear God, honor the emperor. Here's the deal is, is as a Christian, and, and I know sometimes this isn't the popular thing, but we aren't given our freedom in Christ for ourselves. I haven't been made free by the blood of Jesus for myself. I've been made free in Jesus so that I can surrender myself to what he wants. I've been made free to do what he wants me to do. And that's not manipulation. It's a free choice to do so. But he's made me free, and that's shown me that he's good, and it's shown me that he's kind. So why wouldn't I want to do what he wants to do? That's the freedom, is we've been set free to set other people free. You understand? Not to you know, drink a beer and feel okay about it because of what 1 Corinthians 2 says or whatever. Like, no, we've been made free not to live for ourselves. As it says, don't use your freedom to cover up your evil. Use your freedom to love somebody else and be a servant unto God. And I think those are, those are the little things that change our perspective and go, okay, how can, I, how, can I, how can I better walk in what God has for me? Man, serve people around you. Use your freedom for good. Let me tell you all something. The, the fact that we all get to be in a building like this at whatever time, almost 12 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, just saying some great worship, now we're just sharing the scripture together, what a gift. What a gift. Afghanistan doesn't have this. And this is a freedom that we're not entitled to. Do you know what I mean? But the freedom you've been entitled to is what Jesus paid for, and that's that freedom to live for him. And you don't need a building to do that. Right? And then honor the emperor. The emperor thing is so funny to me because we our emperor is President Joe Biden. But like I uh, um, love when phones go off in the middle of service. It's the best. Um, anyways, like mine's always like the baby crying. That's mine. It's always like it's my kid. You know what I mean? Like in the middle of service, people trying to focus, and then the baby starts crying. I'm like it's me. Don't worry about it. We're good. Um, yeah, like Jesus said at one point, he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And I think, you know, I'm, I am super cool with people voting, and, and I'm great with if people want to talk about politics and, and, you know, try and make decisions for what's, what's best for our country. That stuff's great. 
But the moment that we start getting all up in arms about who's president and election fraud this and Donald Trump that, I'm like, guys, this isn't, this isn't what Jesus had for us. He wasn't on the cross thinking, you know what? They should have the freedom to say whether masks are good or not. That's the thing that I want them to know they're free to do, <laughs> you know? I don't know if he was thinking about that. What he was thinking about is like, don't let things like politics, don't let things like, like what the world gets upset about, don't let those things affect you because know that you're free in his name and that you get to live for him. So whether you have to wear a mask or not or whether Joe Biden's president or not or whether Donald Trump's president or not, doesn't change the kingdom of God and its momentum moving forward. Donald Trump can't do anything about that. Neither can Joe Biden. And they can't do anything to make it go further because he's the one who ordains it and he's the one who's sovereign over it. So yeah, pay your taxes. It stinks, but just do it, you know? Like that's what Jesus says, just do it. And that's what he's saying, man. If you were to live good lives, the world isn't gonna look at you and go, wow, look at those weirdos over there like protesting about masks. They're gonna go, wow, look at those guys. And I'm not saying protesting about masks is right or wrong, but I'm just giving an example. But like, look at those guys and look how they're laying their life down for people who hate them. That's what we want the world to say. Wow, I disagree completely with this guy called a Christian, but man, you know what? He had us over for dinner and he was super sweet to my kids. He was a really sweet guy and I disagree about everything with him, but he's just so sweet. That's what the Lord wants, is that we would love people around us despite what we believe in. Because then they're going to start getting a taste of the kingdom and they're going to start getting a taste of Jesus. We don't exist to prove God right. We exist to reveal the beauty of his gospel. God doesn't need us to prove him right, y'all. He knows what, who he is and what he's about. And I don't need to stand here and defend him. He knows who he is. He's defending himself. He's proving himself. I just have to be here to extend those cups of cold water. And then people are starting to see, wow, this is what the kingdom's like. That's different. And that's tasting and seeing that God is good. That's what the world needs. All right, verse 18. Servants, uh, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But what if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. I'll tell you what's funny about this passage. You guys remember, Peter is the same guy who, when Jesus was getting arrested, he, like, cut a dude's ear off. You guys remember this? And then Jesus was like, bro, and he had to go, like, fix the guy's ear. Like, how, like, hilarious that is now that he's saying, hey, guys, we shouldn't be uh, getting arrested for doing stuff that's bad. We should, like, be seen as doing things that are good. It's like, okay, Peter, learned your lesson there, buddy. Um, this takes place in a time where the reality is that slavery existed. Um, people had slaves. There were masters who owned slaves. And so there were individuals, there were slaves who were Christians who, unlike us, they couldn't just go quit their job. They are tied there. If you tried to run, we're going to kill you. Okay? That's the reality of what they lived in. And so this message to, to these people is very much like, it's not just, oh, there's some masters that are really great, some masters are pretty bad. Most of the masters were pretty bad. When it says unjust, it means they're crooked. It means if I said I was going to pay you something, or I said I was going to give you a day off, or, or whatever it may have been, that they would lie about it, and then later say, no, never mind. They were crooked people. They mistreated these people massively. We live in a world, meaning America, our world, where that doesn't exist. Okay? 
meaning we aren't under slavery. We might feel like it sometimes in the jobs we work in, but we're employees and employers. But the message is no different. If you work for somebody, again, it's a very practical stuff. You work for somebody, and you can't stand them, and they are the bane of your existence, and just terrible people mistreat you, awful to you. You could quit your job. That's option one. But then option two, what Peter is trying to tell us, is what if, even when they were unjust towards you, what if you chose to submit to them? What if you chose to just do what they asked? What if you chose to be kind, even when they're not kind to you? What if you chose to extend, as Isaiah 52 says, extend peace when they're causing conflict and disruption? What do you think would happen? Maybe it goes unseen, unnoticed. But he says the more that you do that, your witness grows. Because why would you want to suffer in mouthing back, rebelling, uh, hopefully not, but getting in a physical altercation with somebody? Would you rather do that and get in trouble for it and make it out Or would you rather suffer in doing good? Because that's the thing that God looks at and goes, that's it. Suffer in doing good. Doing good should be back-breakingly hard in life. Not all the time, but in moments like these, it should be really hard to treat somebody well. And that's what Peter's saying. And that's why the Lord sees it as worthy. Because we're actually moving towards that suffering that Jesus experienced. And what a gift that is. What an honor it is to suffer as Jesus suffered. God doesn't notice when we retaliate. He notices when we submit. There's this um, quote by a guy named Warren Wearsby. I love so much. I just want to share real fast. Um, anybody can fight back. Um, you know, in America, we live in this culture that's very like, I get what's mine. I take what's mine. I'm entitled to it. It's mine, and I'll fight for it to the death. You're not going to take it from me, okay? Anybody can fight back about things. But it takes a spirit-filled Christian to submit and let God fight his battles, for spirit-filled, there, Paul says, um, I can't remember where it is, but he says to continue being filled in the spirit. To continue being filled is what we talked about at the very beginning, is that we're taking in the word, taking in prayer, taking in worship, and we're, we're communing with God on a daily basis. And as that happens, we're continually being filled. And what Wearsby is saying, as we're continually being filled, we become aware that I can submit. I have the power to submit. I have the power to serve because he's fighting my battles for me. And that's, just, that's not just a cheesy worship song. That's the truth. He is fighting your battles on your behalf. The pain you feel and the suffering you face, he is fighting on that behalf. Because we all know our battle isn't with flesh and blood, right? It's with the spirits of the air, the powers of the air. He's handling that. And if I believe that, I can submit to this guy. It's easy. Easier. I won't say it's easy, but it's easier. Because you guys know what's going to happen ultimately one day to this world? What's going to happen to our jobs? What's going to happen to the presidency of the United States? What's going to happen to all that stuff? Vapor. Gone. There's a, there's, a, there's a path that we walk, and there's a door at the end of this path that opens and closes. And even if we don't see that day where this whole earth is just whisked away into a vapor, we all are going to come to our end of our life at some point. We will all pass away. We're going to come to that door. And Jesus is going to be the one that's walking us through that doorway. Right? We're not bringing our careers with us. We're not bringing our relationships with us. We're not bringing our 401ks with us. We're not. It's our souls that are going to come with us. So the time we spend here, if we tie ourselves, tie our souls to these things that in the scope of eternity seem trivial, 
we will come to the end of our life and be like, man, that was a big waste of time. And that's the thing about Peter and the Lord. He doesn't want us to waste our time. Don't waste your time getting caught up in it because it's all going to pass away and God's the one in charge of it all anyway. All right, this is verse 21. We're closing up here. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Part of the grace of Jesus is that we now have this opportunity to follow Christ's example. It's an opportunity to follow his example. Just as it says at the end of that passage, there was a time, guys, if, if, if you can remember not being a believer, there's a moment where like, we are separated from God, wandering around in this life, dead in our flesh. And Jesus became the shepherd to us and now resides as the shepherd and the overseer. And that didn't just give us this, this doorway into salvation, but it, it speaks to us a different message that not only am I looking to a day where I spend eternity with God, but I'm seeing a day today where I get to imitate him. Not be Jesus Christ, but I'm saying we get to follow his example because he proved it to us that every temptation, every sin, all of it can be overcome. Every hardship, every piece of suffering can be turned for good. He showed that because he walked with his father perfectly and showed us how to do it. This is not our home, so we mustn't invest our souls into it, but invest in the one who remains with us for eternity. It's like I said, the world's not going to be there at that doorway at the end of time. The world's not going to be there. Government's not. Our money's not. But Jesus will be. And he's here with us now, walking with us every single step. So let's invest in that. Let's invest in Jesus. Let's invest our time into Jesus. Let's inv invest our mental space into Jesus. Man, don't, please, don't. I've had to, I had to delete like, news article apps off my phone. I had to get off of social media because I was like, this is killing me. <laughs> this is a poison to my brain. Like, to, to just take in the negativity, to take in the fear, to take in the, all of it, man, it will kill us. But if we can press into Jesus and we can start to carry his good news, his beautiful gospel to those around us, we'll start to see more of his kingdom in our lives. We won't have to think, maybe one day I'll do something great. Or maybe one day my life will matter to God. No, you can see it right now because you're investing yourself into him. And you'll start to see it at coffee shops, in your families, in your marriages, all over the place. I have the intentional question this morning. Uh, where can I lay down my life and show the gospel to someone around me? It's very clear and simple. I intentionally chose the word show the gospel. Um, not speak it, not share it. You can do that, feel Lord lean you. But man, you can show the gospel with your lives. You can show it and just being different than the world. Don't be like the world. Be like Jesus. He's worth it. Imitate him. He's so worth it. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.